was worried he was getting a little dodgy in the middle part, but then that finale, <laughs> wow. Hello and welcome to the Two for One podcast, uh, the podcast where we discuss two adaptations of the same source material. I'm David. And I'm Claire. Today we will be discussing two movies that are based on the 1815 novel Emma by Jane Austen. The movies are also both titled Emma, one from 1996 and the newer version from 2020. I do believe Clueless is also based on Emma, but we will not be discussing Clueless in this podcast, at least. So Emma is set in 1800s England in the country village of Highbury. Emma lives in maybe the wealthiest estate in town. She's just turned 21, she lives alone with her father, and her governess mother figure has just been married and left the estate. Jane Austen describes Emma in the first lines of the book as handsome, clever, and rich. And the story basically follows what I would call her entry into womanhood. She's sort of uh, trying to find amusements and purpose. So having played matchmaker for her governess, she's decided that she will befriend a woman named Harriet Smith, who has grown up not knowing her parents and thus not sure of her social status. While Harriet would have gladly married this kind farmer named Mr. Martin, Emma persuades her to instead pursue various gentlemen of the village. Throughout these endeavors, Emma finds herself caught up in these potential marriage pursuits herself, uh, often involving the same men that she has chosen for Harriet. However, throughout most of the story, Emma is sure she does not plan to marry since she could live her whole life happy and rich in her father's estate. But this is a love story, so by the end, she does realize she has feelings for another. Uh, both of these movies stay true to the story, plot, and setting of Jane Austen's novel, and in fact, they both make good use of uh, Jane Austen's dialogue, so much so that there are plenty of lines identical or nearly identical uh, in both movies. So let's just give a quick look at the cast of characters in each film. Yeah, so the main character... Uh, is Emma Woodhouse. She is played um, by Anya Taylor-Joy in the 2020 version and in the 1996 version by Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, so she's the main character. The entire story is, for the most part, from her perspective and it's sort of her relationships with her family and uh, everybody in town. Um, her father is played by Bill Nye in the newer version and Dennis Hawthorne in the older version. Her neighbor and best friend, Mr. Knightley, is played by Johnny Flynn in the newer version, Jeremy Northam in the older version. Harriet Smith, who Clarice just mentioned, is sort of Emma's latest... Project? Project, yeah. I, that's what I was going to say. Project, but also her friend mm -hmm. um, and someone that she's, she's in a way trying to help out and uh, trying to provide some guidance for. She's played by Mia Goth in the newer version and Tony Collette in the 90s version. Miss Bates, who is a poor woman in town that, I don't know, is it fair to say Emma's friends with her? It's kind of a weird friendship. Yeah, Emma's sort of like societally obliged to spend time with this woman, but she finds her 
really, annoying. really annoying character. She's played by Miranda Hart in 2020, Sophie Thompson in 1996. Uh, Jane Fairfax is a young woman about Emma's age. Heaven forbid that I should ever bore anybody half as much about all the 90s together as Miss Bates does about Jane Fairfax. I think she feels a little bit of a rivalry toward. I don't know if Jane Fairfax actually feels the same way, but Emma doesn't have uh, super warm feelings toward her. She's played by Amber Anderson in 2020, Polly Walker in 1996. Mr. Elton is the reverend, I guess is what you would call him, the, the town reverend who kind of develops a crush on Emma, and Emma stupidly is trying to set him up with her friend Harriet the whole time, and obviously neither of those situations really work out. He's played by Josh O'Connor in 2020 and Alan Cumming in 1996. He eventually marries uh, Mrs. Elton, is played by Tanya Reynolds in 2020, Juliet Stevenson, 1996. Uh, Frank Churchill, similar to Jane Fairfax, he sort of has this reputation around town and maybe inspires jealousy or admiration, mm -hmm. depending on who you ask. But it's important to know that both Frank Churchill and Jane Fairfax aren't living in town. It's their parents and relatives who live right. in the village. Right. And obviously, they both come back to town during the movies. Uh, so Frank Churchill, played by Callum Turner in 2020, Ewan McGregor in 1996. It is a lot of characters, but this is the type of movie that it's fun to really understand their dynamic and relationships to each other. And the first time I watched any version of Emma, I did have to watch it twice to track all of it. And it is, it's fun for me to, to crack that open and really understand all the dynamics at play. But yeah, let's give some shout-outs to just some performances that stood out to me. I will say from the 1996 version, Sophie Thompson. Uh, sister of Emma Thompson. She plays Miss Bates, as David said, this uh, this poor woman. She was born, maybe, of society, but has fallen a couple ranks, and she is just hilarious. Emma finds her annoying, maybe quite rightly so, but she's definitely a good-hearted woman, and the way Sophie Thompson plays her is just, just quite funny. The other person who stood out for me in 1996 was Ewan McGregor, but mostly just because I was like, why is he this character? I Honestly, I don't think he fit for me as, well, as Frank Well, interestingly, I looked it up, and I feel like we both kind of thought he was just like, what, what are you doing in this movie? And apparently he also thought that. He was like, I don't really have a lot of regrets, but I regret, like, I think I was just terrible in Emma. Oh, really? And part of it, he singled out his terrible haircut. Oh, really? Because we said that when we watched he was, it. He was actually, he was wearing a wig, and I think he realized, oh, my wig was actually really bad, and my acting wasn't great, and it all comes together in a, in a really bad way. All right. So, I um, mean, I love Ewan McGregor. Like, I don't yes. want to be disrespectful or anything, but, like... I feel a little less bad now, knowing that he feels that the he same way. That he also doesn't like it. I wonder, it would have been interesting to see him play Mr. Knightley instead, but that's beside the point. Um, my... My shout-outs for 2020, I love Johnny Flynn as Mr. Knightley. Uh, I think he's great, and I think he clearly has a love for the movie. Uh, we might talk about this a bit more later, but he actually wrote an original song for the movie, and I think that's you know, not necessarily anything to say about his acting in the movie, but I think it shows that he cared about 
making this film. Um, and the other person I would just say is Bill Nye is hilarious as Emma's father. In both movies, he's basically just this comic relief character in the back, always feeling a draft. There, distinctly. Do you feel it? A chill draft. A chill and sickly draft. You know, just like being a little kooky. But Bill Nye nails the humor. I mean, Bill, yeah, Bill Nye, like, is just amazing in everything. But, like, yeah, I think he brings a lot more character uh, in 2020 than, uh, than we got in the 1996 version. I think that version is much more of a background character and not someone that you're meant to mm-hmm. really be be too invested in um i mean so i i i you didn't mention this but i want to hone in on harriet smith a little and she's played by mia goth in 2020 tony collette in 1996 i it was a little jarring watching the 1996 version after seeing 2020 because tony collette is like towering over gwyneth paltrow mm-hmm. in a lot of these scenes and i thought like she was 30 in this movie and I think they were both around the same age they're actually born the same year I think they were both 24 or so when this movie came out so they're both pretty young Um, obviously 24 in Hollywood means you can play down to like 15 if you really want to but I guess Emma's supposed to be 20, 21 21, I don't know like Toni Collette just seems like I, I I just feel like she's kind of Maybe this is going to sound bad, but she feels older than me. And like even seeing her as like a mid 20s actress playing someone who's around 20 or maybe in her late teens, like Harriet would be, it just, it, I didn't really buy it. You know, mm-hmm. she didn't really look the part. And I thought I was going to think that about Gwyneth Paltrow as Emma, but I thought Gwyneth Paltrow did a, a really good job. So yeah. I think maybe. Maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe them standing together, it just didn't look right to me, especially after seeing 2020, where Mia Goth just, you know, she's older. I mean, she's probably mid-20s when she made the movie, mid to late-20s. But I think she looks pretty, you know, young and believably potentially dumb, you know? So I, I thought that was that was what really stood out to me, along with uh, Ewan McGregor being very, very strange mm-hmm. as Frank Churchill. I mean, there's some other great performances, especially in the 2020 version. I really love uh, Rupert Graves as Mr. Weston. I guess he's Frank Churchill's father, but there's sort of an estrangement there, and he marries Emma's governess at the very beginning of the book and the beginning of these movies. He's really funny in like a role that doesn't really matter all that right. much. Doesn't matter. Um, but it's kind of similar to like Bill Knight, where mm-hmm. these characters that don't have a direct influence on the plot, like right, they're not romantic interests of any right. sort. They're not her peers. But they're like you know they're fleshed out and they're quirky and they're funny and they're interesting. Um, and uh, along the same lines, I think uh, John Knightley. Mr. Knightley's older brother, who's married to Emma's sister. I think he's very funny, even though he's got, like, three lines total, maybe, and, Which like, an eye roll. Which is more than in 1996, where he hardly appears. I don't even think, like, I kept waiting for them to show who he was, because they're all at a party together. He must be there because we have an actor's name. And I think, <laughs> okay. like, we see the back of a man 
Mm-hmm. And that's it, because I was really looking for him. I was, like, very interested to see, like, oh, who's going to play this guy, even though it's such a small, like, part. But it's another one of those, this guy was funny in the Exactly, know, right? exactly. I do really like Alan Cumming in 1996. I think he was very good um, as Mr. Elton. Oh, yes, he was. Uh, he was, yes, the tapping her on the shoulder scene. He, yeah, he... Uh, I mean, he's 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 very funny in general. He's a very good actor. Uh, I think he brought like a different vibe to that character from the 2020 version. I think in 2020 he was a little bit more creepy and like mean. Mm-hmm. And in 1996, he's got a little bit of that, but like it's mostly. I think in general it's a more good-natured movie. It's less mean-spirited, so I think he he kind of fits in with that a little bit overall. Uh, those are the people I wanted to mention. I don't know. Is there anybody? I, I... No, yeah. Let's go into the the merits and the flaws and the overall comparison of yeah. what we see in these movies. Well, the motion picture teleplay was uh, respectful and exhibited tastefulness and class. Who made you an expert all of a sudden? So I know that you wanted to talk about Emma herself, and I think that's a good place to start. And, yes. you know, talking about her flaws. Before we do that, I just I feel like we should have done this already. This this these movies take place in the early 1800s. I guess you said it was written in 1815. Is that right? Uh, so the Industrial Revolution, it's kind of that era, but they're in a small town, 20 miles from London, hasn't really hit them yet. But that's just to set the scene, and we can we can get into Emma and her her own character. Emma, I was not surprised to read that when Jane Austen wrote this book, she had decided to create a character so unlikable that nobody but Jane Austen would like her from the beginning. And I think that that is a fun approach to a story uh, for your protagonist, and I think in both of these movies you end up like rooting for Emma despite her flaws, but the way her flaws are presented it's quite different in the two movies. And I think if I were to summarize it, I would say in the 1996 version, Gwyneth Paltrow's Emma has this flaw of naivete, mm-hmm. childishness, just generally stumbling into what it is to be a woman and these new concepts of courtship and whatnot that she's engaging with. Whereas in the Anya Taylor-Joy 2020 Emma, her flaw is quite clearly pride. Now, having not read the book, I can't say exactly which one's truer to the source material, but I will say, watching these movies, it's much more interesting to watch Anya Taylor-Joy struggle with pride, because she is the wealthiest girl in town in a society where wealth and social structure comes with actual rules of how you can behave and interact with one another. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't quite, like, fully understand that all of the love that she receives is maybe not deserved, you know? Mr. Knightley even turns to her in that one scene and he he goes, you know, isn't Jane Fairfax... Jane Fairfax. ...the accomplished person you believe yourself to be? Because she does believe that she's all that because everybody treats her that way. And she is, she's a very clever person. She's, she's very smart, has a great wit, but she's definitely full of herself in a way that 
leads to huge blind spots and it causes her to really hurt her friend Harriet and really just also be unaware of her own feelings of attraction um, towards her romantic interest. And in that movie with Anya Taylor-Joy, she's understanding that being her flaw and then she works to sort of resolve it. Whereas if I go back to Gwyneth Paltrow's 1996 version, she's just childish and it's like embarrassing to watch a woman act like a teenager in one moment and then like not really show the same sort of self-reflection and growth as you see in 2020. So that's my overall assessment of her flaw and whether it's interesting or not and then also whether or not Emma herself confronts it. Yeah, I think that's more or less what I, you know, I agree with that. But when I was watching these movies, especially watching 1996 and then going back and watching 2020 again, I was really struck by how mean Emma was in 2020. Mm -hmm. Like, Anya Taylor-Joy is a jerk, you know? Right. And that's how I would put it. Like, I think, you know, you can say, okay, what is the flaw? Is it naivete or is it pride but like what those characters are like Anya Taylor-Joy is a jerk and Gwyneth Paltrow is just an idiot you know that's a different way of saying the same thing but I think maybe depending on what you like what your tolerance for watching like a horrible person be horrible for two hours you know, that might influence, like, which of these performances or which of these movies you actually liked better. That's that's true. I think, for me, obviously, I find it more interesting to have someone recognize, you know, that they've been terrible. And I think what you're talking about, her being a jerk and being mean, that's part of her pride. She feels like she can say these things because she's not necessarily being called out on it. She's being told that she's a good person, so she's not having that, you know, sort of negative feedback. And then finally she's come to a point where she realizes I can just go on and let people treat me this way because of my social status or I could become the type of person who is deserving of being treated you know, this way because I'm actually going to be a good person and start treating mm -hmm. people kindly. And I mean, what a great character arc, you know? Rather than just someone <laughs> being a child and then all of a sudden because I have a man, now I'm a woman. Like, which. You know, maybe that's an unfair assessment. Maybe I'm showing my my hand too much here as well, to which Emma I found more interesting. Yeah. But, you know, that, that was it for me. Can I add one part of this, though? Mm. I love sort of a metaphorical representation of these things. Both of these movies start with her governess getting married and start with her giving a gift to her governess. And in Emma 2020 with Anya Taylor-Joy... She goes out early to her garden and she's ordering these servants around to snip the flowers and she seems very bossy, very proud, you might say, right? But then you find out that she's done it to create this like very gorgeous bouquet that's quite nicely arranged and giving it lovingly to her governess. So you're sort of getting these sort of dynamics of her character. That yes, she's bossy and proud, but also she has a deep care for other people. Now take it back to 1996, Emma. She gives her governess basically what looks like a paper mache sphere that's like painted to look like England with the different um, mm. estates from the town. And I, again, I would say it looks childish. And it's just like, 
and the way she's talking to her governess, it's very much like, you know, I'm not yet prepared to be a, a woman in the world yet. And by the way, here's my arts and crafts project. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, I think that, I, I agree with that, I guess. I don't see it as necessarily, that means that A is better than B. Like, I do mm -hmm. see the 1996 version, especially like Emma's character growth, is more subtle. And I think, like, when when Anya Taylor-Joy decides that she's going to stop being a jerk and start being a nice person, or, like, stop being a child and start being an adult, however you want to put that, uh, that's, like, there's there's a very strong transition, and there's a lot of, like, there are a lot of plots in the movie that can only be resolved once she decides to do that. And in the Gwyneth Paltrow version... I think it's clear that it's like, you know what, she can keep going in life and be kind of oblivious or uncaring. She could keep doing that and like maybe she will, but I think there are like certain things where it, you know, the movie makes it clear like, okay, like she she did feel bad about this or she learned her lesson or whatever, but you don't necessarily get the same feeling that She's a changed person. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, the Anya Taylor-Joy version, nothing about that movie is subtle. Like, the music is over the top. <laughs> yes. I mean, I love it. The colors, like, the the way that it looks, it's beautiful, but, like, it, it's just so over the top. Every character is over the top. And I think the 1996 version, it's not so much like that. So I think this is just a little bit of a manifestation of that, is that the, the portrayals of Emma herself are, in 1996, it's a little bit more muted, and maybe that comes across as Gwyneth Paltrow is just naive and, and childish versus like an actual horrible person. Well, let's talk about sort of uh, one of the reasons, the reason for Emma changing over the course of the movie is the sort of guidance and... Uh, friendship that she has from her neighbor, Mr. Knightley. And I know, David, you had some thoughts about how he's presented in the movie. I mean, to start with, they're, they, they've been friends for her entire life because, as he mentions in the 1996 version, and I'm sure this is from the book, he was 16 when she was born. <laughs> and I guess by the time she was old enough to walk and talk, she, you know, knew who he was and he looked out for her, and, uh, and you know, they've just known each other and liked each other ever since. Um, I get the sense that in 2020, maybe they thought that someone who was 16 when Emma was born, that that's a little off-putting in a way, and didn't quite mention his age. So I sort of got the impression that she was around 20, and he was maybe early 30s. I think it was just a smart decision not to mention it, yeah. so that diehard book fans can have him be 37 in their mind, right. and anyone coming into the movie it's isn't not having to grapple with this. Yeah, But I think like there is a dynamic to their relationship where he he's kind of trying to set her straight a lot of the time. I think he recognizes what her flaws are, and he, you know, as much as we say and the book says and the movies say that she's very clever. I think he's just as clever and maybe 
he doesn't care as much about what other people are doing, so he doesn't put his cleverness to use like that. But he can always kind of see through Emma's plots. Mm-hmm. And when he doesn't approve of what she's doing, he just makes that very clear. And he tells her, you know, this is this is wrong, or you're wasting your, your talents doing something that you shouldn't be doing. And I think, like, if you're seeing this as a 36-year-old man or a 37-year-old man talking to a 20-year-old, you know, woman or child depending on how you're you're viewing her maturity uh i think that takes on a little bit of a different dynamic i also think obviously there's a gender dynamic you know i'm not an expert on jane austen but that's obviously a theme of uh of hers um and i think it, it does look a little different when you have this older man who you know that they're gonna get together at the end of the movie mm-hmm. um it's sort of like telling this little girl who he's known since she was born when he was 16 years old you know he's like teaching her how to behave like an adult you know yes you know what I think part of this is I know we mentioned earlier that they use a lot of the lines from the book and it's gorgeous dialogue I mean it sounds like poetry very often while it's being spoken but I think the 2020 version wanted to have it feel more like natural conversation. So especially when they're having those conversations, they talk over each other a lot more and you know raise their voices and, and have it be more of a, a sort of shouting match of these you know Jane Austen uh, words. And I think that, adds a little bit to seeing them more as equals, perhaps, um, in addition to choosing not to disclose his age in that version. Um, Because I definitely think, especially the scene where he's just yelling at her, which happens in both movies, um, but it definitely came off, like David's saying, as a sort of paternal chiding um, in uh, when it was coming from Jeremy Northam. Yeah, in 1996, and I think... I think in 2020 they do they really want them to be seen as equals you know to the extent possible Um, so a lot of the like the power dynamic is just very different Um, but I you know I I don't think that again maybe it's for book readers maybe it doesn't matter it's just uh, it's kind of an interesting interesting difference there yeah So he does, I mean, that is the turning point, that scene where he yells at her. In both of them, he uses the phrase, badly done, to tell her, like, you've just, you've really crossed a line this time. And that's where Emma sort of turns around. But he's been at her throughout the movie with with some missteps that she's been making. One in particular, coming right at the beginning of the movie, when she has decided... Harriet Smith, I don't know what social class she is, but I'm going to have her match up with Reverend, the Reverend Mr. Elton. That's who I'm going to pair her with, and because I'm a matchmaker, of course it will happen. So because she set her sights on this, she has advised Harriet to reject the proposal of the farmer, Mr. Martin. Again, this is something that happens in both movies, but you as the audience member, you know, you see that that was a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. Harriet, in both movies, very convincingly portrays through the screen 
that she is in love with Mr. Martin, but she's just not confident enough in herself to accept the proposal, you know, especially now that she's having the guidance of such a fine lady. Right, like someone that she really, like everybody in town admires Emma, or like especially everybody in Harriet's social circle, because she's, like like Claire mentioned, she's an orphan. Uh, I think she's kind of at like a boarding house, is, right. is sort of the impression mm-hmm. that I get for people who, you know, it seems that it's being paid for by her parents, but her parents have not revealed themselves to her. Right. So, yeah, her social status is unclear. And I, in in both of these movies, class is kind of an interesting theme. Uh, it's not so much black and white. Like, there are servants in these movies, but this is not like an upstairs-downstairs thing. This is all variations on people who are upper class, but gradations of that mm-hmm. so so it's interesting to see how big the differences can be yeah when you're only looking at yeah like there's no there's no downstairs stories in this in this in this movie uh right you know claire had mentioned that emma is the richest person in town possibly that might be true it, seems it that could way. be that mr knightley mr. is knightley. actually richest richer but less ostentatious about Mm-hmm. you know being involved in society and flaunting his his wealth and his social standing right but yeah then you know from there it's just very unclear like you know how far down are the martins they are tenants of mr knightley but you know they're respectable they're not wealthy but they're doing okay i guess the westons they're doing very well the eltons you know, I don't think they're rich, but he has status as a reverend, and so there's, you know, and with Harriet, like, she's kind of a wild card, because Emma likes to pretend that, oh, because she, because she doesn't know who her parents are, or who her father is, but she still has the money to go to this school, that must mean, like, this is going to be revealed, and she's going to you know, reveal herself as a princess or something like that. So, you know, her social status is, in Emma's mind, like, it's anywhere she wants it to be. <laughs> right. She being Emma. Yeah. It's whatever Emma decides. Yeah. And Mr. Knightley, I think, looks at that a little bit more clearly and and tries to convince Emma that actually that's not, that's probably not what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And he points out, you know, you've really made a bad choice trying to match her with Mr. Elton, and especially that you made a terrible choice convincing her not to accept Mr. Martin's proposal. So, again, you're the audience member. You've seen Harriet reject the love of her life, and you just you, you want that to be resolved by the end of the movie. You see Emma fail to match her with Mr. Elton, and then, you know, she starts to pine for another gentleman, and you're just like, okay, well, maybe that's going to work out, but you really want her to end up with Mr. Martin, and thank God <laughs> she ends up with him by the end of the movie. But because Emma is the person who ruined everything for Harriet at the beginning of the movie, it seems that Harriet's happy ending, you know, should line up with Emma's growth itself. And this is another thing where the two movies depart a lot (laughs) between how this is portrayed. Um, Emma, uh, just to spoil her happy ending, she has fallen for Mr. Knightley by the end of the movie, and he does propose to her. In the 1996 version, 
knowing that Harriet at this point is also in love with Mr. Knightley. Emma just goes ahead and accepts the proposal. There's this great crescendo of music. I rode through the rain. ride through worse than that if I could just hear your voice telling me that I might at least have some chance to win you. Mr. Knightley, if I have not spoken, it is because I am afraid I will awaken myself from this dream. It cannot be true. But I feel so full of error, so so mistaken in my makeup to deserve you. What of my flaws? I've humbled you and I've and I've lectured you, and you have borne it as no one could have borne it. Maybe it is our imperfections which make us so perfect for one another. Then there's a voiceover because there are these voiceovers throughout the 96 version um, that I was not a fan of, but a voiceover saying, oh, and I, you know, needed to explain it to Harriet. But what happens is you have a dialogueless montage of Emma telling people that she is now engaged to Mr. Knightley, including her telling Harriet. And you don't only even get to hear anything from Harriet about how much this would have hurt her that Emma has set her up to think that she should marry a gentleman, and the gentleman that Harriet is in love with has now engaged himself to Emma. I just think that is just so upsetting. The only other scene you get with Harriet after that, Harriet does tell Emma, oh, Mr. Martin proposed again, and I've decided to say yes. And the quote, you know, I wrote it down as best as I could remember it, is Gwyneth Paltrow's Emma says, well, this is a great end to my sad career as a matchmaker, now that I'm so happily matched myself. And it's like, okay, great, you have realized that you shouldn't be meddling in other people's affairs, but you literally brought it back to yourself. Yeah, it's still and about And the fact Emma. that you are now, you know, married to Mr. Knightley, and kind of rubbing it back in Harriet's face. Don't forget, I'm the one who ended up with Mr. Knightley. It's like... Ooh, I was mad, just so mad at the treatment of Harriet, the movie's treatment of Harriet at the end of that movie. We see Emma mistreat her at the beginning, and yes, she gets her happy ending, but the movie doesn't really deliver it. Let me just contrast that now to the way it's presented in 2020. Tell me, Emma, have I no chance of ever succeeding? My dearest Emma. For dearest you will always be, my dearest, most beloved, and tell me at once. I cannot make speeches. If I, if I, if I loved you less, then I might be able to talk about it more. But you, 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 you know what I am. I have, I have lectured you, and I've, I've blamed you. And you have borne it as no other woman in England could have borne it. God knows I have been a very indifferent lover, but you understand me. You, you understand my feelings. 
Will you marry me? Robert Martin this very evening. I shall urge him to put his suit to Miss Smith a second time. He still loves her. I'm certain that he does. He need only ask again. Not not by letter, but in person. Oh, no. No, I must do it. I must go. Mr. Knightley, same dialogue proposes to Emma out under the tree, and Emma immediately gets a nosebleed because there's a lot more sort of comedic effects going on in this movie. But it's very clearly the result of the amount of inner turmoil Emma's feeling of, I know my friend Harriet is in love with you, Mr. Knightley, but I know I am in love with you. I want to accept your proposal, but I have mistreated so many people that I can't take one more step towards this uncaring treatment of my friends. So... I can't accept your proposal until I've set things up with Yeah, Harriet. like she stops dead in her tracks because she knows that she has a higher obligation in that moment. And even Mr. Knightley's like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, why is your nose bleeding? Right. Like, what's going on? Uh, he deals she, with it all very well. Yeah, he, he handles it very well. He's, he doesn't know what's going on. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like, in that moment to, to disappoint him and... You know, for a moment, I think he's like, are you saying no? Uh, and she's like, no, 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 I just got to run off and do my own thing. Right. You know, and as soon as he understands that that's what happens, he says, I'll go talk to Mr. Martin, convince him to propose again. And Emma says, no, I need to talk to him. Mm -hmm. She goes, you actually get the scene of her owning up to Mr. Martin for being the person who caused Harriet to reject his proposal. And then Harriet, the next scene, you get that scene where Harriet shows up to tell Emma, by the way, I'm engaged to Mr. Martin, and it's just, it's, it's so nice. I didn't even mention that. You did get the scene earlier where Harriet slams the door when she finds out that Emma's in love with, with, uh, Mr. Knightley. So there's just, there's a lot more of hearing Harriet's perspective from her, her own words. And the last part of just really tying up Harriet's story so nicely in the way it fits as part of Emma's story in, 20, in the 2020 version, when Harriet tells Emma, Mr. Martin's proposed again and I've accepted him, she says, there's a second piece of news. My father has revealed himself and he's a tradesman. And a tradesman is exactly the sort of level of person that Emma would not care about. There is a great line in both movies where she says, this is the type of person who as, is as much above my notice as he is below it. Like, Speaking about the Martins specifically. That's right. She's talking about Mr. Farmers. Martin. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, so she's saying he's not 
so low for me to give charity to, but he's also not high enough for me to socialize like, with. So I, I, don't I can't care. actually be friends with them. Yeah. And now realizing that Harriet is this level because she has A, decided to marry Mr. Martin, and B, found out that that's just the level of society that Harriet herself was born into, Emma's response is, well, you must bring him by the house so that, you know, I can give you guys a, a dinner or a tea or whatever. And it's just Emma realizing beyond the social constructs of the time, if you have decided that you're friends with someone that means something and she's decided to actually be Harriet's friend. So I think it's just, it says a lot more about who Emma has become at the end of the movie. Not just a happily married to Mr. Knightley woman, but also just a better person. Yeah. I mean, if we can, if we can stick on class for just a second, I think there, you know, it, it is very subtle in both movies. I think there are obvious class themes, and Jane Austen very consciously is is pointing that out and making Emma, you know, as an unlikable heroine of the upper class. You know, that that's very clear what what's actually going on but i thought the movies treated it a little bit differently and you know we've seen the 2020 version multiple times i saw the 1996 version i think i had to read emma when i was going into 10th grade which would have been 2004 or 5 uh and i i i read the book i think i read the book but i also watched the movie um but i hadn't seen it since so then we we went back and we watched that and I think it just, like, it seemed a little bit more judgmental of everybody that was upper class. Like, there were a few different things. Uh, one of the techniques of the 1996 version would be to, like, end a scene with a character, mostly Emma, saying something and then showing her saying the second half of that sentence at a later time. So she would be talking about, like, Jane Fairfax and saying how, like, Oh, I like I, I hate Jane Fairfax, and then like she's finishing that sentence over tea with Jane Fairfax, right, yes. and just showing like how how like phony mm-hmm. she is, but I think how phony like everybody of that you know social status is. And there were a couple of other things like they were uh, you know there's one particular shot where and and scene where Mister Knightley is talking about the coziness of his manor house and then the camera just pans to show the house and it's obviously this huge mansion and I think you can't see that scene without being like wow he's like he's so out of touch and I think in 2020 it's almost it's so much more like farcical Mm -hmm. like we do have scenes of uh, Mr. Woodhouse Emma's dad you know directing servants around because he's always feeling a draft and you know, he ends up, you know, he's, he's sitting in a chair. He says, I feel a draft. And they bring him, uh, what do you even call those? The, uh, uh, what do you call this? I don't know. Like. <laughs> screens. Screens. Yeah. Bringing screens. And then you'll see him and he's just completely surrounded by screens. And the footmen will look at each other and like kind of roll their eyes. Mm-hmm. But like, it's never like, it's never like very judgmental. It's just like, well, this is a silly person, but it's not like oh man, like, you know, wealth is really, like, the problem here. It's just so farcical. Uh, and I, I I, don't know, like, it seemed like in the 1996 version, there is a little bit of judgment and negative feeling toward the fact that upper class people 
can actually act this way. And I think in 2020, it's sort of just that's the universe that it's set in and it plays out with less judgment specifically about class and more judgment about Emma and the other characters as people. You know, it's interesting in saying that the 96 version like highlighted class more. The 96 version also has scenes of Emma going to give charity to the poor people mm-hmm. of the village and they they don't include that in the 2020 version. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think the 2020 wants to, you know, I think it wants to ignore the downstairs people to the extent possible. I think, you know, obviously the classes of Emma and Mr. Knightley and the, the Martins and Harriet, those are all so integral to the story that you can't, like, you can't really excise that, right? But, like, the class dynamics between all these people that are either of the middle class or the upper classes... The, the movie wants to accept that, but it doesn't want to get into, you know, why Emma has such a massive house with, and why her father, like, has these footmen and, like, what's going on with them. And I think in 1996, you're right, like, she goes to visit, um, basically, the poor part of town, and, you know, she does charity work, and she brings Harriet to do the charity work. And I think it's kind of indicated, you know, it's implied that some of it is for show, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, she goes with Harriet and then immediately afterward they run into Mr. Elton um, and at this point, this is pretty early in the movie, Emma's trying to set up Harriet and Mr. Elton still and Harriet basically didn't do anything. You know, Harriet's like, you know, maybe a, a teenager and is very awkward and doesn't know what to do. This is like the first time that she came to do charity and Emma's like doing everything and then they leave and run into Mr. Elton and Emma's like well we just got back from doing all this charity Harriet did this and Harriet did that and Harriet's like oh yeah I guess I did and just to talk her up it was yeah just to talk her up but like clearly using this Mm -hmm. charity that they had done together as like just a topic of conversation basically you know like something that's sort of a hobby and, yeah, I mean, it, it it makes her seem very two-faced. Just like those scenes where she's saying one thing, and then in the next scene, a second later, she's saying the complete opposite. Right. Yeah, I think that aspect of wealth definitely comes across more in the, the 96 version. I think so much of of the wealth and the social dynamics are present in the dialogue that... You know, you can say that it's there for both movies. Like, when she finds out Mr. Elton is actually interested in marrying Emma, Emma responds in both movies as, like, he's only interested in me because I'm the wealthiest person in town, and that would make him the wealthiest man in town. Like, so there's sort of those dynamics present there. But I think what's interesting when it comes to wealth in these movies is this is a society where there... I know that there are just these intricate rules on how to interact with people. And I almost wish that the movie came with, like, a pamphlet of, like, sort of read-along of, like, so how how can, you know, Miss Bates address Emma? Like, where is mm-hmm. the line? There is, she gets very mad when, uh, when Mr. Elton ends up getting married. Uh, when he fails to marry Emma, he goes, and within six weeks, he's gotten married to someone else. And that woman shows up to town, and she's just calling Mr. Knightley, Knightley. And because she's dropped the mystery, and she that she is had met huge... him once, or like hadn't even met him yet. I think in one right. movie she had met him, and in the other she was like, "We're gonna go see him like later." 
And she's like, hasn't even met the man, already calling him nightly. But oh, I don't is remember, that right? I don't remember well, which is Well, in either which. one, she's, she's still saying, like, how dare she just call him nightly and not Mr. Nightly. Right. And I think, you know, it's, it's the onus of the movie to explain to us that that is an insult, right? Um, so it's also interesting what other choices the movies make as to how to convey the characteristics of these people without expecting you to understand the, the rules of the time. So the same woman who's calling Mr. Knightley, Knightley, of course she's a, a rude, you know, boorish woman. Well, I like, I like the, I think it's interesting the differences in this character in the two movies, but I'll let you finish and then we can get into that. Well, and I, I bet this might be what you're thinking too. In the 96 version, the way that she would eat food and she would always be drawing a huge intake of breath in her nose while she oh, chewed I forgot her about mouth that. open and she'd be talking. And that's such a modern thing to be like, ooh, that is a rude person. And yeah. I feel like that was the movie's shorthand for being like, this woman is not meeting the like the etiquette expectations of her station, you know? Yeah, she's she's very ostentatious in her eating and I think I can't remember ex her exact phrasing, but almost everything that she says when she shows up in the nineteen ninety six version is some version of like, oh well, you know, I am a virtuoso at piano or so people right. tell me yes and she's always saying like a well bragger. my my house is is the most beautiful in like whatever county i'm from mm -hmm. or at least that's what people say and like as soon as she realizes that she's like bragging she'll just be like well that's what people say and then she just mm -hmm. like completely forgets that she shouldn't behave like that um but i actually thought it was very interesting watching that movie because in 2020, she shows up and she's just like this horrible person, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I think Mister Silly, Mister Elton is a worse person in the 2020 version, and Mrs. Elton is horrible. She's like inviting herself to parties mm -hmm. and being presumptuous, and you know she's like yeah, she is a little bit egotistical and and just kind of a jerk in general. And I think in uh, in 1996 version. Um, it's a little bit less so. I think she's more socially awkward rather than can you interpret this person as a jerk. But I think like the movie is intentionally drawing a parallel between her and Emma herself. Like it's not so much, you know, you you're deciding to be like this terrible person. It's more Emma, like if you keep being self centered and like stupid about your decisions you're going to turn into this person that everybody hates, that just, like, talks about themselves, that nobody, mm -hmm. you know, nobody really, like, likes, but everybody feels obligated to uh, to tolerate. Um, like she's a mirror for only the negative characteristics of Emma. Exactly, and I think that's most clear. Like, the, the emotional climax of the movie, or I guess the emotional climax is the proposal from Mr. Knightley, but I think the... Uh, Dark Night of the Soul, so to speak, happens after uh, one, I don't even know if you would call it a party. It's like an outing. They're yeah, going, they've like gone for a, a, a picnic. picnic or something. Yeah. Um, where Emma and uh, her cohort, basically everybody in the movie is all together and nobody's really talking. Everybody's bored. And Mr. Churchill, Frank Churchill, 
who's kind of like a dunce, you know, and a bore, I would say. Not necessarily a bad person, but just like, he's not from... You think he's not a bad person. I don't think he's I necessarily... Think a, there's plenty to dislike about him. I think like, so Mr. Knightley doesn't like him, but I think there's a lot of like jealousy because Emma for a while thinks... You know, Emma is like obsessed with him have her, having never even met him, you know? Mm-hmm. And then her, her uh, former governess and her husband are basically trying to set them up. So Mm -hmm. there's sort of a lot of expectation that Emma and uh, Frank Churchill will get together. But anyway, in at this picnic, Frank Churchill says, uh, this is like really boring. He's kind of talking to Emma. Let's play a game. Like, let's ask people to say either one thing very clever (laughs) or two things moderately clever or three things very dull indeed and everybody's like yeah this is great and then miss bates who we were talking about you know she's the the woman that the good-hearted but annoying woman yeah the very annoying uh poor you know and and getting poorer every day uh woman who emma is still somewhat friends with she says oh very well then i need not be uneasy three things very dull indeed that will do just for me I shall be sure to say three dull things as soon as I open my mouth. <laughs> and then Emma's like... Oh, Mom, but there is the difficulty. When have you ever stopped at three? And... and oh, the the reaction. It yeah. just stops cold. It's almost like exactly the same in both movies. I think 2020 hits a little harder. Um, it, it just like... Yeah, literally nobody says anything afterward. Um, and Miss Bates is just like shocked you know because everybody has this idea of like emma is this nice person and when we watched that in the 1996 version i think it was clear to me that they had uh this is basically after mrs elton shows up and sort of invites herself to all these parties and invites herself on this picnic and it seemed clear like that they were drawing a parallel between mrs elton and emma and Emma goes to this point where she becomes just a jerk, like just an unredeemable jerk. And what you said about the 2020 version is that it seemed more like she was being influenced by Frank Churchill. And I was going to say that here too, because as much as you're saying that Mrs. Elton is the like mirror for Emma's negative characteristics, I saw that more with Frank Churchill. And maybe well, I specifically am thinking, in 2020. Yeah, maybe I am thinking for the 2020 version, but then I, I probably just applied that to the 96 version because you've got Ewan McGregor's, you know, like you're just sort of making the character what, what you think he should be. Um, but, right, so he's the person who proposes the game, and I think it's the type of game that just so clearly shows that he only views these other people as you know, instruments of his own amusement. Well, yeah, and Frank Churchill... You know, Emma's... She's going down the path of treating people the same way, and she gets caught up in Frank treating people that way, that she just loses herself to it and is incredibly rude to this woman who has only ever been the nicest person to her. Yeah, and my read of Frank Churchill is that he is kind of an asshole, but I think he's an asshole in the same way that, like, Emma is, where... It's not that he's necessarily a bad person. I think for the whole movie, he and Jane are keeping it a secret that they 
have been engaged for like the last six months. Um, because if it was public, then he would be written out of the will and not inherit the huge manor that it's, he is. But I don't. I don't think that's like the movies never say like. Both oh. movies say that. But it it's not that like oh he he's worried about like not getting the money. It's that like his aunt and uncle that he that he's living with like literally won't allow him to do it. You know the ninety six version set it up that way where they said he needed to wait for his aunt to die because she would not have approved. But the twenty twenty version makes it very clear that it was no. I don't think so approved. because no no no. The 2020 version makes it very clear. No, I don't think that so. he waited because he and out of the will. Yeah, I, I saw it, but that's what Mr. Knightley says, and Mr. Knightley hates him. He hates Frank Churchill because he thinks that he's a rival for Emma's affections, and like so. At the end of the movie, he's Mr. like Mr. Weston doesn't corroborate it at the end when we find out that they're engaged. He he, he does, but it, it's not like. I feel like you're conflating, like, oh, being written out of the will and being, like, having this disapproval. And it's, like, it's the same thing. But whether you want to look at it one way or another depends on, like, oh, well, Frank Churchill, of course, like, now he's going to inherit this this money, you know? But, like, in reality, it's, like, I don't want to upset, like, my aunt who, like, apparently is sick all the time. You know, I feel like it's ambiguous, at least. Like, you could read it either way. Oh, and, I think that you know. is such a charitable view of Frank Churchill. But I, it's, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I but just to get back to the scene, I think he is a jerk. But, like, the way he's treating being in town is sort of like, this is all kind of a joke to me. Because I'm already annoyed that, like, we have to keep our engagement secret. And, like, they're going to parties and she'll be there. And people will be like, oh, like, is Frank Churchill going to get with Emma? And he's like, uh, uh, I don't know. I sent Jane a piano, but he can't tell anybody and stuff like that. So I think he's just like, he is treating these people as if, uh, as if they're there for his amusement. But I think it become it, it comes from like resentments that he has. And just because they're not part of his world because he doesn't right. actually live in this town. Maybe, but I, I find that argument weak. <laughs> Well, anyway, um, anyway, that that scene, yeah, that's that's kind of the the turning point of the movie. Um, but one yes, that, that is the part where where Mr. Knightley then goes, Emma, you gotta change, and it is such a satisfying, yeah, yeah uh, shift in the movie. And and actually, we we were talking about unresolved storylines or right. like Harriet's, you know, the way that Harriet's storyline is kind of treated as secondary, and like. In the in the nineteen ninety six version, the same thing happens with Miss Bates. Like Emma goes to apologize. I mean, it's not clear what she's actually going to do, but it's you know it's obvious that she feels bad about what she says and is going to try to make some sort of amends. And she shows up at their house, and Miss Bates is there with her older uh, mother. And as soon as Emma shows up. Miss Bates just like leaves the room and leaves her with Mrs. Bates, the the older lady, and that's it. Like we right. never she get. She says, "Tell her I'm I'm asleep in bed." Or something. yeah, we never get resolution for that. And I honestly like I read that as like maybe Emma doesn't really deserve absolution. 
you know, mm-hmm. for, for being such a shitty person for this movie. And I think you read it more as this is just pretty sloppy that we don't get a resolution to that storyline. Because I, in, I, yeah, exactly. in, in 2020, she shows up with like a basket of fruit or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Miss Bates is like very apologetic that she made Emma wait at the door. And Emma's just like, no, you're like a really good friend. And, you know, clearly they're not really ready to speak about what actually happened. But I think Miss Bates is very, very willing to forgive her. And Emma's like, I like I don't deserve to be forgiven, but like I really appreciate that that we yeah. can have this relationship. And so Emma does get that sort of forgiveness, but realizes she needs to do more, which is why then when in the subsequent scenes she gets she finally is ready for her happy ending, but she says, No, I also need to, you know, take care of things with Harriet. Yeah, and I think you're right. Um, a lot of my complaints of the 96 version just come from the final 20 minutes. These unresolved, you know, yeah, sloppy sort of endings. Did you care about these subplots? Because honestly, her romance with Mr. Knightley is not the main plot of the movie. No, yeah. It shows up at the end. So how are you going to leave us at the end of the movie with, well, everything's great because she ended up with Mr. Knightley. It's right. like, that's not what this story and was. And I think that's what, that's what 2020 does so well. It's like, it sets that scene up as if it's like, you know, this is the climax of the movie. And then Emma's like, wait a minute, this isn't the climax of the movie. What about like Harriet? What about all this other yeah, stuff exactly, that's going on? Exactly. Like, it's not, even though it's called Emma, it's like, it's not all about me all the time. And I think you never really get, you know, maybe it does it in, in subtle ways, but I don't I don't really buy that. I think that in the 1996 version, at the end, it just is all about Emma. And it's all about, you know, oh, she got her Mr. Knightley, you know. Yeah. And it sort of becomes like this romance that it never really was. Like, you're right. It was never about that. Yeah. Well, let's talk now about some of the sort of like more nitty gritty small things now that we've covered the the big hits of the of the movies. David, I know you wanted to talk about the gypsy scene in 96. Yeah, well, so there's this one uh there's this one scene in the movie. It's kind of toward the end where um I guess in in 1996 version, uh Emma and Harriet are walking down a country lane and they walk by a group of gypsies and they're set upon and I think knocked down before Frank Churchill shows up and rescues them. Um, and then in the 2020 version, it's a little different. Like they're that not. It happens off screen. It happens off screen. Emma and Harriet aren't together, but then all of a sudden you see uh, you see Harriet show show up, or I guess Frank Churchill shows up, literally carrying Harriet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, puts her on the couch and she's like, I guess she sprained her ankle or something, some minor injury, but like they're, they're going overboard trying to take care of her. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, a that was a weird, that was, it was weird to see it. You know, I think in the 2020 version, it seems like they didn't want to show it Mm -hmm. and, I, I was honestly, like, when we first watched this movie, I was a little bit curious, like, what really happened, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, is this an excuse for something else? Is, like, you know, like, who knows what really happened? It's just, it's odd that we don't see it. And then in the 1996 version, like, they literally show it to you. And I think 
you know, those are it's an interesting choice to have made uh, made a difference there. And it's similar. It's exactly like what we were saying earlier, where the '96 version made explicit their 16 year age difference, which they could have just left out the way the 2020 version does. And I think mm-hmm. just adapting a a novel from the early 1800s, like it's a different society it's a different world the author had a different worldview than we have but we still want to be able to enjoy the material and i think it just it kind of makes sense to leave the age difference unsaid and to leave the the gypsies off screen you know apologies for use of that term but you know it's it's just either you're gonna adapt it so that it was something else that happened to harriet or you know you're really gonna have to work to make that not an awkward sort of scene you know yeah yeah i mean i don't have a lot more to say about that but uh it is it's you know it's so much of these movies was like literally the same to the point where i you know we can get into this where i uh i wondered if in the 2020 version the actors literally were like watching the 1996 version and like copying their uh, like the way that they spoke because some of the some of the lines were obviously the same but like the way that they spoke them was like very similar you know I think Miss Bates like there were times when she was doing uh, a pretty similar thing in, in both movies even like Mr. Knightley you know poorly done Emma very poorly done you know oh, but it's delivered so differently in both movies I don't know I mean I thought there were like similarities there uh, I don't think it was... See, I think that that's just the rhythm that exists in Austin's words. I think well, it's I sort of inescapable yeah. if you're using the the words from the text. Yeah, no, I had wondered that, like, whether, you know, because both of these movies do take a lot, like, word for word um, from the book, that, yeah, is it inescapable or, like, is it something where... Yeah, I feel like a lot of actors would want to do something different, or like a lot of directors would be like, I want to make a different well, movie. No, and they're stand- not making totally different movies here. Yeah, but I do stand by what I said earlier, that I think the, the newer version, the 2020 version, tries to make it more like a natural dialogue. Especially in the scenes where they're arguing. Um, but if you don't mind, I'd like to talk about the, the music of both movies. I think it is worth noting that the 2020 version was is the only movie at the time of this podcast that has been directed by Autumn DeWilde, who is uh, more famously a music video director. And so I think she probably has this sense for music and how it fits with visuals. And I think the, the music of Emma 2020 was... Uh, I think it added a lot to the film. Yeah. It has basically just a couple different motifs that, that repeat throughout it. Um, but you've got acapella folk music. <laughs> you've got sort of like, you know, instruments of the time. And I think it it adds a lot to whatever the scene is delivering, whether it's humor or whether it's, you know, contemplation. But I think it is aware of what's happening on screen. In the 1996 version, I felt just didn't have music. (laughs) Yeah, nothing really stood out. And in in particular, there's one scene where 
they're they're at a party together, and by this time Jane Fairfax says showed up in town, um, and Emma's playing piano for this mm-hmm. party, and right after she performs, uh, Jane Fairfax performs as well. But they're very different scenes. In the 1996 version, Emma's performing, and Frank Churchill, which is again Ewan McGregor in a terrible wig comes and like sings with her and uh it's it's sort of like a flirty thing though i am nothing to her though she must really look at me and though i could never right after they had discussed you know he's sort of like making up his like fake gossip to like throw everybody off the trail and so he's like you know emma and frank churchill are kind of like gossiping together about like who sent jane the piano like maybe this guy did it and like he's cheating on his wife or something like that you know like there's all these like crazy things that frank churchill's just like i don't give a fuck because i know what's really going on but i can't say it so i might as well just mess with people right um, so he gets up and he's like singing with her and it's very flirty and then they finish and Jane Fairfax comes up and she starts playing but like the scene is kind of moved on and Emma's doing something else and in the 2020 version she's performing and she's doing like a very nice like country you know kind of folk song um, and singing along with it and singing clearly with this sense of like everybody's watching me like there's this one particular pause she gives that's a little too long while she's taking it all in yeah to reflect back her blushes and give sigh for sigh oh who would inhabit this bleak world very like theatrical and uh over the top. But still very, like, like simple. Because yeah. it's followed by... Fairfax gets up and starts doing, I guess, like some classical sonata or something like that. That's, like, really just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, like I said, I don't think the movie is very subtle, but, like, it, it cuts to Emma and Harriet's reactions, and they're just like, whoa! You know, like, yeah. they're... They're, like, woken up from, you know, this sleepy kind of party atmosphere. Um, and, yeah, so same scene, very different. But I think you're right that, like, the the music just plays a bigger role. Well, can I say, actually, that as far as music goes, I might prefer that scene in Emma 1996 because the 2020 version has two drastically different musical performances. Both of them... One that's fine, and one that's just masterful. Mm -hmm. So that's played for comedic effect, obviously, which is in line with the sort of tone of the whole movie. The 96 version, it's clear that Jane Fairfax is better, but they're both clearly, you know, just ladies of estates who practice piano. And it's more about Emma's reaction to Frank Churchill having come up to do the flirty duet with her, but then immediately ignored her. And now she's sort of sitting alone. And you get a lot more of sort of Emma's sense of like, oh, like, 
maybe what I thought was happening wasn't actually happening, and now I'm being, you know, shown up by Jane, and I think you get a little bit more of Emma in that scene. Yeah, I don't know. So, do we want to do we want to move uh, toward the the finish line here? Yeah, I think we got to say which movie we liked better. In many ways, the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and themselves to our judgment. I don't think it'll come as a huge surprise that I much prefer the 2020 version of Emma. I enjoyed the 96 version, um, but, you know, at this point, I've watched the 2020 version multiple times. I just think it's it's a great film. Um, I think, and I haven't gotten to fit this into any of the topics we've covered, but there's one thing in particular about the 96 version. I hated all of the times when Gwyneth Paltrow would have a inner monologue bit just over the scene. Like, I get it. Like, I already know what Emma thinks. You don't need to literally have her say it. It's just... Oh, and the Dear Diary scenes. I don't know. There's a lot about the 96 version that I just don't care for. Meanwhile, the 2020 version, I I adore it. Yeah, I mean, I, I do... I love the 2020 version. Um, but I do think that 1996, like, it is a subtler movie. And it's, you know... Compared to 2020, it maybe feels a little dated in some ways. You know, not even... It's, you know, 25 years old. It's not like... It's not like it was before our time, even. Um, But, you know, things like the music or, you know, the performances might feel a little off. You know, or like Ewan McGregor's wig. I don't think that would fly (laughs) in a 2020 movie. I don't even know... You've got Johnny Flynn's great hair, which I feel like is what they wanted with that wig. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, I do appreciate the 1996 version. I feel like when I read Emma and then watched the 1996 version, I, I feel like I had never... So I had never read any Jane Austen besides Emma. I never read Pride and Prejudice or any any of the other famous ones. Just Emma for school. And it was described to me as a comedy of manners. And I feel like I realized that that just means it's something that's not funny. <laughs> Um, and I, I didn't really love the book and then I watched the movie and I thought the movie was going to be like, okay, this is an adaptation. This is going to be very different. And at the time, you know, I could be wrong, but at the time I remember thinking that it was actually like a very faithful adaptation and that they had, you know, not really left a whole lot out of the book, um, that, you know, from what I could tell. And looking at it now, I think 2020 is, like, so farcical. It's almost like uh, the Jeeves and Worcester show with uh, Hugh Laurie and uh, the guy you like. Uh, no, it's not. It's Stephen Fry is who Stephen you're talking Fry. about. No, I don't think it's well, that it, far. It's, it's, like, on... To me, it's, like, on... It's closer to that point on the spectrum. Whereas I think 1996, I would describe that as a comedy of manners where it is subtle and, you know, it can be a little bit silly, but like there's not as much outright, like this is 
crazy, you know, showing you like, you know, having the moment where Jane starts the sonata and she goes, and like Emma, like (laughs) is shocked out of her stupor, you know, like there's none, none of those moments. It's all, it's just like, oh, like it's silly that she thought this when it really was this and like things like that. So I think the subtlety, I, I think that that is more in line with what the book was. But that being said, that doesn't make it a better adaptation. And I, I do think that 2020, I, I think it's just a better movie. It's a more fun movie. Um, and it's less sloppy. You know, like you were right. upset about some of those dangling story threads. And whether that was intentional in 1996 or not, uh, you know, because like I said, I think that maybe you could interpret that as Emma hasn't grown as much as she's as as she thinks she has or that she doesn't deserve to be forgiven she's just gotten a husband now yeah and i think that's like a valid interpretation of the book or of Mm. of these movies but i think in terms of like storytelling you want to see a resolution to miss bates you want to see a resolution to especially miss bates harriet and mr martin Mm. um and even uh even mr woodhouse emma's dad kind of gets a little more resolution so, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we're in agreement. What can I tell you, kid? You're right. When you're right, you're right. You're right. Well, this is going to make the next question difficult because we end with saying, if Claire and David were to make Emma, what would we do differently? And I don't think I could improve upon Autumn DeWilde's Emma, you know? I mean, maybe get Sophie Thompson to play Miss Bates because I thought she was hilarious in 96, but mm-hmm. honestly... Miranda Hart's Miss Bates in the 2020 version fits for her role in in that portrayal. I Do you have any ideas, David? Because I cannot think of what I would improve upon. That movie. No, not really. I mean, I love the movie. I think along the same lines, I would maybe go back to, uh, to Alan Cumming as Mr. Elton. Or like at least dial back some of the performance um, from, from Josh O'Connor. Where it is very like creepy and... Mm unsettling at times oh when he's like untying his thing his like cape i mean the guy he's weird looking guy you know you can't really hold that against him but it's a visual medium Mm -hmm. and i think like that combined with like the way that he was actually being portrayed in the movie made him seem like very uh this is a very off-putting character and then at the end of the movie when she marries mr knightley it's mr elton performing the wedding and it's like you couldn't have like gotten a different guy. No, to they do couldn't this. have because but apparently no, there's I mean, only twenty people who live. There's in this only village. yeah, there's only one reverend in the town, right. so it's like yes, literally that is true. But I didn't want to see him at the wedding because everybody else is like, you've got Jane Fairfax and Frank Churchill who are mm-hmm. now together, and they've kind of. There's no more reason for Mister Knightley to be jealous of Frank Churchill. Right. Emma's gotten over her jealousy of Jane Fairfax. Uh, the Bateses are all there. They've reconciled. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody is at this wedding that like we sort of had a resolution with, you know. And Emma's like found her equilibrium in the society of of Highbury, right? Except Mr. Elton, like they never. The last we saw of him, well, they Mr. Were, Elton got what he wanted which but then was then a he gets prestige but then he gets to go to the wedding with like all of emma's friends and it's like and this oh, guy that i hate you know right, yeah and but like the last we saw of him 
he like they were all at this party uh and uh the only person who wasn't dancing was Harriet and Mr. Elton like walks up uh to Emma's former governess and asks her if she wants to dance and she's like well no I can't but like I know one young lady who might and Harriet's sitting there and like yes please ask me and this is after Harriet already had a crush on him and then he was like no I don't give a fuck about Harriet except that she's your friend I don't even care whether she lives or dies he literally says that I don't care if she right. lives or dies, except, except that, that she's your, your that she's your friend. Wait, 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 David. Can I just be clear? All of this is just to say your one complaint of the 2020 Emma is that Mr. Elton is at Emma's wedding. I think I would have dialed the performance back a little bit so that you didn't hate him so much, or provided a resolution for that storyline oh, where okay. he could be part of their social circle, because everybody else, you know, like Harriet and uh, Miss Bates. They have a conflict, but it's resolved. Mm -hmm. And their conflict with Mr. Elton, like, he's such a dick to Harriet. Like, he doesn't dance with her when she's, like, clearly just waiting for someone to ask her. And then she starts crying, and Mr. Knightley has to come over. And then that leads to a whole other thing where she has a crush on Mr. Knightley. Anyway, we never get a resolution for that. So I don't think he deserves to be at the wedding. And I I think he's too weird of a guy. He's the vicar. He has to say the wedding. I, that's me, all I'm saying is to me I was like if it was if it was me I would be like fuck this guy you'd be you like know? let's go one town over to get married it was just a little bit like jarring to see him at the wedding alright let all. me tell you though because I've just had a brilliant idea I've got the most scathingly brilliant idea since we can't make a new Emma better than the 2020 version or we don't want to except for perhaps this Mr. Elton thing that you're on about but what if there was a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead sort of version I don't know. telling the Frank Churchill and Jane Fairfax story? You know, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. It's like Hamlet. There's like some line where Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are they're like sent on some mission, and then later in the in the play, someone just has the line Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. But it's all off screen. Nothing. Oh, so I don't even their, know if they're even cast characters. They but then their own someone adventure. else wrote a book about what, what they did. Like in Return of the Jedi when Mon Mothma's like describing that they stole plans for the second Death Star and then she's like, many Bothans died to bring us this information. And then there's like an awkward pause where you think about all the Bothans that died and they're like, anyway, let's move on with the story. Well, maybe. Right. Anyway. I think you're focusing more on them dying and less on the fact that they had a whole side adventure. Well, right. just like all these Bothans, like they had this adventure and it went horribly for them. But we don't care about so that. So hopefully all of our listeners either are Shakespeare fan- fans or Star Wars fans. And I they think understood one or the that's, other. yeah, you gotta be one or the Chances other. Chances are at least. high. Um, but wouldn't, that, wouldn't you like that because you have this whole thing about Frank Churchill being a good guy who's just I don't think he's necessarily a Emma's good guy. Story. I just don't think like we really should be So we should get the Frank Loves Jane movie. I don't right? know. I what mean... happened at whatever town they were in where they fell in love back in October and then they have to spend six months lying to everybody. You know what was weird is there's one scene in the twenty twenty version where like they're all at uh, Mr. Knightley's house and he I guess, like, he doesn't have anybody over ever, basically. 
Um, and Mrs. Elton sort of invites herself over and he's like, okay, I guess I'll have a party because it would be, right. at this point it would be, even though you're being rude, it would be rude of me not to, you know. You're talking about when Jane excuses herself from the yeah, party. Yeah, Jane shows up and, and she talks to Emma who like, they don't like each other. And she's like, Emma, like, can you just tell everybody that I left? And I was like, sure. And Jane's like. What does she say? Like She says, we all know what it's like to be weary in spirits, mm-hmm. and mine, I must confess, are exhausted. Yeah. And then, like, she's, like, crying. But I don't know. I we think never it's really... Very, it's powerful. You feel her emotion. But, like, you never really find out, like, what that's about. So I guess that's well, all to Frank say... Churchill has been away, and he shows up at the party late. And so I think maybe Jane... Yeah, he shows ex- up in the next scene. So I think Jane was maybe expecting him to be there... Or, in any case, I think the the charade is really getting to her. But that's the only indication you get that there's something going on with Jane. Frank, obviously, has a much better persona that he's putting on. Yeah, he seems completely unbothered by the whole situation. But, anyhow, that's my one suggestion. I would like to, to have that. Did you have any other thoughts about that scene or my brilliant idea? Uh, no, I think, uh, I think it's crazy that she hasn't directed any other movies, that this is her only movie. Yeah. And, like, what's she doing? Like, do another movie. Like, she did all these music videos for bands I don't care about, you know? Bands I care about quite a bit, but yes. But, like, I don't know, like, Emma, it didn't seem, like, very amateurish to me. Or, like, you know, we've all seen movies from uh, former music video directors, and a lot of times they are style over substance, which I think you can say about 2020. You certainly could. And I feel like if someone was bothered by that, I would not recommend it to them. Yeah, like, if you don't want over-the-top visuals and, like, the music being over-the-top and the acting and the deliveries over-the-top, mm-hmm. like... I mean, maybe I think she keeps you. it within reason, but some people, you know, their line is is yeah different than mine. So I don't have like a way. I don't. I don't think that I need another Emma. I need another movie from. Uh, is it Autumn to Wild? Autumn to Wild. Yeah. Yeah. Did I call her August to Wild earlier? I'm sorry if I did. I don't know. Um. But yeah. All right. Well, I think we're. Signing off now. I know I got to go watch Clueless because I actually have not seen it. And uh, yeah, I found out today <laughs> that Clueless is from is the also based on Emma. And I was reading about the 1996 version of Emma um, and the director of this movie. He was writing it, and he actually thought like, wouldn't it be cool if I did a contemporary Emma? And he had no idea that Clueless was already being made. So it right, could have been. Because it came out in '95. So. They both came out the same, yeah, at the same time, and we could have had dueling, <laughs> like, contemporary takes on Emma, right? Which would have been interesting. But I think uh, you know they did a good job with the the '90s version of. I think it's a pretty faithful adaptation. Anyway, that's neither yeah. here nor there. So tune in next time for uh, whichever movies we're talking about next. Thanks for listening. Sweetness that I took for sweetness that she gave to me. My queen bee. Though my heart has long been given to you, summer's turn is nigh. Swift 
birds and swallows swoop and yearn for you with all that's in the sky. But blow the wind and come the rain and come my love again. All is for my mistress, all is for my maid. Sweetness that I took for, sweetness that she gave to me. My queen bee Autumn's flourish Fruit that falls for you Apples sweet as death All that falls has lived And died for you Gently come to rest But blow the wind And come the rain Come my love again All is for my pain Sweetness that I took for Sweetness that she gave to me My queen bee Winter's kiss has some in thrall So they keep their fires bright But my breast is lit with flames to shun the dying of the light Oh, blow the wind and come the rain And come my love again All is for my mistress, all is for my maid Sweetness that I took for, sweetness that she gave to me My queen bee I'll speak love's truth with oak and ash for you Sing through April's tears I will weave the bonnie flowers of spring for you I will walk for years Oh, blow the wind and come the rain And take my heart again Yes, blow the wind and come the rain All is for my maid Sweetness that I took for Sweetness that she gave to me